Oh, it's good to see you today in God's house. I know it's a little wet outside, but it's a lot cooler. It's a lot cooler. So we praise the Lord. You know, many of us are deeply moved when we read or hear stories of people stopping to help others in need. Somehow, there's a special place in each of our hearts, no matter how tough we may be on the exterior, that these stories somehow are able to touch us. Like, for example, I still recall um, many uh, months ago, there was an example, a story about a, a lady who had stopped to help an elderly person who was in a wheelchair. And apparently they were in a public place, and uh, this uh, elderly gentleman in the wheelchair had soiled himself. And he was a complete stranger to her, but she stopped and she helped him. She helped clean him up the best she could, and she got him back to loved ones. And then um, she uh, somehow this act was witnessed by so many other people. And, and people were just touched about it, and it just almost went viral, if you will. And so she had spared this elderly gentleman a lot of personal pain and embarrassment. Now, I wonder if you or I had come across a similar situation, uh, what would we do? What would we do? Would we perhaps stop and help the best we could, or would we just pass on by and just pray real hard? that somebody else would stop to help this person in need. And so, you know, when you hear these kinds of stories, you wonder, well, you know, this is a church. This is a community of Christ, you know, and everybody comes on Sunday and everybody looks like, you know, they just won the lottery. Everything's happy. Everything is good. Everything is clean. And and everything is the way that it should be, we say to ourselves. But, you know, deep down, if we were to really admit it and be honest, we would know that there are people in the community of Christ in need. We would have to admit that. And it's probably more often than we would care to know or to acknowledge. Maybe that's one reason why we don't spend too much time, uh, you know, talking to people after church. We're just out of here right away. You know, we don't want to know too much. Perhaps that's the reason. This is why the commands in the Bible, such as the, this one, bear one another's burdens, is so important. It helps us to hear the heartbeat of God and maybe even to ask ourselves, what would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? And so that's why this whole series of messages on the one another passages is so important. God is leading GBC on a theme to build up the body here at Christ, uh, body of Christ here at GBC. We don't want to just be the normal congregation. We don't want to be just the normal gathering of God's people. We want to be God's people that are gathered together. And we want to do what God wants us to do when we do gather. These important statements define and describe the true community of Christ in high definition. And for those of you who are maybe up on your technology in 4K, because God does not let us escape, but He gives us very specific instructions as to how the community of Christ is to behave. These commands help us connect our learning with our living. That's what it does. If I were to put it another way, it helps us connect between our theology 
and our lifeology. Now, I know there's no such word as lifeology. I just made it up. All right. But it communicates the idea. We want to be connected, our lives and our theology. They set the bar on what it means to be a true community of disciples of Christ. All right? That's what these statements do, and that's why we're into this particular one today. And so I'm going to invite you to join us in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 to 5 this afternoon as we learn what it is to bear one another's burdens. Let's pray. Father, we are treading on dangerous ground here because it is ground that challenges us to the very core. It challenges us to what we really know and what we really understand it is to be a disciple of Christ. Sometimes we'd like to dress up what the disciple of Christ in fanciful terms, maybe even in very convoluted and very complex terms. But there's no escaping these one another passages. And Father, so speak to us. And let us not understand and hear and receive these words with resentment or rejection. But Father, may our hearts be especially open today. And Father, may you plant deep seeds and deep roots in us that will blossom into wonderful fruit. We thank you, Father, for your word and for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. So our journey starts where? It starts in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. And so please turn in your Bibles and join me there. And here we learn what it is that it is to bear one another's burdens. And specifically, God speaks to the Apostle Paul, and he gives us perhaps a hypothetical or maybe not so hypothetical situation. And it starts with us restoring those who have fallen. Look at chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. In this short verse, we learn what it is to restore the person who has fallen to sin, to the trap of sin, if you will. And he does this by answering four critical questions. And I think that they're pretty easy to figure out because you see them drop out very clearly. The first question is, who is the one in need? Who is the one in need that he's talking about? Who are the fallen? Well, you notice the word anyone that is used there. And it's interesting because this Greek word, the way it's used, it could mean any person. It could mean any person. It could mean a believer. It can mean an unbeliever. It's to anybody who is in this situation. What situation? Caught in any trespass. It's a person who is caught in a trap, who has been overcome by sin. That's what this Greek word means, and that's the picture that gets. It almost speaks of a person running away, trying to flee from sin. But guess what? Sin is faster than he is, and it captures him, and it holds him hostage and holds him in bondage. And so that's the picture that is given to us. So this is the person who is in need here. Then he goes to the second question, who is to help? 
Who comes to help this person in need? He identifies them in verse 1, and he says, You who are spiritual. You who are spiritual. Now, who might these people be? Might they be the people who go to church all the time? May they be the people who never miss a quiet time? May they be the persons who can quote verses forward, backwards, and start in the middle and go to both ends at the same time? Are these the ones who are spiritual? Well, it could be, but the Bible doesn't leave us in the dark. It actually marks off these people a little more clearly. If you just go back up to Galatians chapter 5, Paul describes these people who are spiritual. They are found in chapter 5, verse 25. These are people who walk by the Spirit. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. If you have a new international version or perhaps a new uh, living translation, they would use phrases like, let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us, in, in the new living translation, let us follow the Spirit's leading. So the person who is spiritual is the person who walks in the Spirit, who is led by the Spirit of God. Also, if you go a little further up, Galatians chapter 5, it makes sense. These are the people whose lives display the fruit of the Spirit. These are the people who display the fruits of the Spirit. In Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So it's people who walk in the Spirit. It's also people who have the fruit of the Spirit in them. These are the spiritual ones, all right? Well, the Scripture also in another passage outside of Galatians also helps us to define who these spiritual people are. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14. And it says this, But solid food is for the mature. Now listen to this. Who because of practice have their senses trained to discern good and evil. So, the spiritual or the spiritually mature person is this one who lives a life in such a way that they have, over time and experience, have been able to discern between what is good and what is evil. Now, isn't that helpful? <laughs> because if you're dealing with people who have fallen to sin, isn't it make sense that you would have people who know the difference between good and evil? Yeah, sure. And so these are the people who are spiritual. But then, if you go a little bit further, you might ask yourself and try to weasel out of this, and you say, but we are not qualified. You see, I'm off the hook. I don't have to go and help people who have fallen. I don't have to help people bear one another's burdens, especially the ones who fall into sin, because I'm not qualified. But is that true? Is that true? No, because God wants us all to be engaged in this in some form or fashion. It starts by examining one's heart and being a believer who loves God and wants to please Him. That's the basic. That's the basic. 
You got to start there. If a person comes to a church as part of the community of Christ, and he could care less about loving God or loving other people, he's not going to ever help anybody, let alone someone who has sinned, right? No, he doesn't care. He just wants to come to church, get what he gets out of it, and go home and then have a good week. That's his idea of life, you see. But this is what God is saying. It also starts with a believe, being a believer who grieves over others trapped in sin, who knows the damage it can do, and desperately wants to help deliver that brother or sister in Christ from sin. I had a brother in Christ one time, and he was in our church, and he was really having a bear of a time with um, uh, pornography. And so this brother in Christ, whenever he got wind, if he ever sensed that there was a a person in the church, a male in the church who was caught in this bondage, he would make a point of going to them and trying to get close to them, trying to help them. And you said, you know, boy, that's a tough ministry. You know, why did you choose that one? He He says, I know the damage firsthand that pornography can have on a person's life, on a person's marriage, on a person's relationships, on how a person sees other people. And so I want very much to get close to those people and help them as best I can. When you talk about motivation, this guy had first-hand motivation. And that was what God had directed him to do. And so when we say to ourselves that we're not qualified, Oh, yes, you're qualified. But you have to have your heart in the right place. And it has to be geared for loving people, loving God and loving people. Now, there's a third question, okay? A third question. The third question is this. What are they to do? What are these spiritual people to do to those who have fallen? All right? Paul answers that in verse 1. Also, what do they do when they arrive on the scene? He says to them, he says in uh, Galatians chapter 1, uh, chapter 6, verse 1, restore such a one. Restore such a one. Now, what does restore mean? The word restore there is used in many different ways in the Bible. But most frequently, it's used of a process by which one resets a broken bone. Okay? It's often used to a fisherman who are mending their nets that have been torn or uh, somehow have big holes in them. And so it's the idea of restoring, of putting back to original uh, condition uh, something that has been broken or torn. And then, so when we go to this person and we're trying to restore them, what are we trying to do? Are we trying to get them to, 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 to come to church more regularly? Are we trying to get them to, to, to you know, do this and do that? No, basically what we're trying to do is get them to, first of all, acknowledge their transgression. To acknowledge their transgression. Most people that you go to who are caught in sin, they say, I don't have a problem. You have a problem, but I don't have a problem. I'm quite comfortable with what I'm into right now. You see, that's the attitude of most people who fall into sin. You know, they say, yeah, I got a problem, but everybody has a problem. You know, no big deal. You know, that's the attitude they have. But then here, you get them to acknowledge their transgression and then to repent and return to the fellowship with God. That's what you're trying to do, okay? 
You want them desperately to become intimate with God again and have that close relationship that God always desired of every person. That's what you're trying to do. You restore them. You put things back together. Well, the fourth question that is answered is how are they to do this? How are they to do it? Well, if you look in verse 6, you see it says to restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. And the spirit of gentleness, the word gentleness means meekness. Meekness. It doesn't come like, you know, it's not you walked in there like you're the, the great mighty conqueror on a white horse. I'm here to save you. Listen up, you know, this kind of thing. No, that's not. You come in there and you come in there very humbly and very meekly. And you say, brother, I love you. Or sister, I love you, and I know there's a problem here. Can I help you? Can I help you restore your relationship with God? Something like that. One pastor that I was reading, he says, you do it quickly, quietly, and with enormous kindness. Oh, I thought that was wonderful when he said that. You do it quickly and quietly and with enormous kindness to people. That's how you restore people according to God's word. Well, you do it with gentleness, but also there's a second characteristic. Looking to yourself so that you are not tempted. That's in verse 1 also. Now, why would he put that down there? Why would Paul put this down? Looking is a Greek word that means pay sharp attention. Pay sharp attention. And then he says to them, and he writes it in such a way that this is something you do continuously. This is not a one-night stand. This is not a one-shot deal. But you're always in this state of alertness where you do not want to fall into the same trap or into the same hole as the person you are trying to help. This is one of the common things that happens to pastors. I hate to tell you this. Pastors sometimes are so out there trying to help people and restore people that they get sucked into the same trap. They, be, they fall to the very same temptation they're trying to deliver other people to if they're not careful. And this can happen to you, and it can happen to you, and it can happen to you, and it can happen to you. It can happen to all of us. And that's why Paul puts this down. Be very cautious and careful that we do not fall into the same trap or hole as the person we're trying to help. Now, what does this all mean? What does this all look like? Okay, let me help you. What do you imagine the community of Christ to be? Okay, if God gave you a blank check and said, what do you want Grace Baptist Church to be? What kind of congregation would it be? Well, Maybe some of us have this picture of a mighty band of believers marching and singing as we go about life. And we sing such great songs as Amazing Grace and How Great Thou Art. We sing songs like Shout to the Lord. We sing songs like that. We sing Our God is an Awesome God. And we're all just merrily going down our path. And then suddenly we realize, hey, where's, where's Joe? Where's Jim? Where's, where's Jane? Where's, you know, all these people? Well, I don't know. They were just with us. What happened? So we turn our backs and we look. 
and we see that they have fallen by the wayside. Now, how many of us are going to stop and go back and get them? And how many of us are just going to continue going down our merry path? Our God is an awesome God, you know, and all that. And when some of us go back and we come to the person who has fallen by the wayside, and we find that they have fallen into a trap called lust or something else. What will believers do? Will we go back and help or will we march on? You see, that's the kind of church you and you and me have to decide GBC will be. I think sometimes, I've shared this individually with some people, I think sometimes when I think of GBC, my heart just really breaks for it. Because somehow, some way along the way, we've lost our soul. We've lost our way. We ask ourselves and we're content with saying, I know the word of God and praise God that you do. You've been well taught. Excellently taught, supremely taught. But in the midst of all of that, we've forgotten who we are. And we've lost a bit of our soul. And God wants us to get back our soul so that GBC will become a community of Christ which truly cares and wants to restore the fallen amongst other things. And this is where we are today. So bearing one another's burdens means seriously restoring others take overtaken by sin by doing it gently and carefully. But there are other ways that the community of Christ might bear one another's burdens. And Paul goes on to give those to us starting with verse 2 on to verse 5. And it's helping those who are suffering. It's helping those that are suffering. Now, the first time we went through this in in verse 1, we found that he did it by answering some questions that were very clear in the Scripture. They're very clear the way they broke out. But this time, he gives us some very clear um, statements that we can characterize with the letter C. With the letter C. So look at verse 2, for example. We find a command The command is bear one another's burdens, okay? And this has the idea of to help carry, to help alleviate the the load. That's why at the bottom of the the, uh, slides, you see these, these graphics going across the bottom. What are they doing? They're each trying to help the other person with with a burden. They're suffering under the load. He gives us a command, then he gives us a case or a situation. And he says in verse 2, bear one another's burdens. And the word that's used here for burdens means one that is very heavy or oppressive. It's not just a small thing, but it's a big thing. It's a heavy thing. It's weighing down. It's wearing us out. This weight could be a temptation. It could be the guilt of sin. Or it could be some illness, perhaps some personal loss, some disappointment, some uh, discouragement. You fill in the blank. 
Have you ever had anything that was really heavy on you and is too much for you to carry? I'll bet you could fill in the blank with a lot of stuff, just like I could. So he gives us a command, he gives us a case, and then he gives us a cause. Why should we? Why should we help one another with a burden and thereby fulfill the law of Christ? Fulfill the law of Christ. This is verse 2. Now, what on earth is the law of Christ? Sometimes when they make statements like this, sometimes it's good to search the book in which it appears because sometimes the speaker has already explained it earlier on. And if you look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 14, Paul writes this, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. In the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Well, where did Paul get that? Well, if you go back to Matthew chapter 22, Matthew chapter 22, this is what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37 to 40. And this is when Jesus was asked, what is the great commandment? And this is what Jesus said. And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. So there's good evidence here that the law of Christ that he is talking about is to love your neighbor. When we help others who are suffering, we are fulfilling the law of Christ, which is to love our neighbor, is to love others, more, even more than ourselves. Oh, <laughs> Pastor, you're really laying it on today. What did you eat? What did you, <laughs> you must have got a good night's sleep or something, you know? What's going on here? No, God is speaking to us today. In John chapter 13, John chapter 13, verse 34, this is what Jesus had to say. John chapter 13, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you and that you also love one another. Wow. So when I'm willing to help somebody with a heavy, heavy, heavy load, I am helping to love them. I am living out what it is to love them. Yes, that's the cause. So he goes from a command to a case to a cause, and then he goes to a caution here in verse 3 and 4 of Galatians chapter 6. What is it? Look at verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. What is he saying here? If anyone thinks, another way of using, you can translate that word, supposes. A person supposes that he is really hot stuff. He really thinks that, you know, he is God's gift to everybody, all right? He really thinks he's at the top of the rung, you know? He's going to be the first in line for rewards from the Lord, you know, this kind of guy. And so he thinks he's something, but he is nothing. He thinks that he's above and superior over anyone needing help. But he's deceiving himself. And the word deceives, there's a Greek word where it leads one's mind astray. 
If I can put it in my own words, it would go something like this. This person is completely delirious. This person has completely missed the boat. This person has, is barking up the wrong tree. He is going down the wrong path. His mind is playing tricks on him. Well, pastor, help me understand. What, what kind of person is this? What, what kind of person is this? Well, he's the guy who thinks he's something when he's nothing. Okay? And so he might be one of those believers who's got a bad case of personal pride. And so when he sees people in need, he looks down on those who are suffering. He looks down on them. He doesn't want to help them. He looks down on them. How does he look down on them? Well, he might think things and say things like, they deserve it. You know, you reap what you sow. They even use scripture to back it up, you know. And they say, he deserves it. He deserves it. They might be the kind of person that says, they are so weak. They they have no backbone. They have no ounce of courage in them. They should have been able to fight this thing off. They might say something, they can't take it. They can't take it. Or maybe perhaps the ultimate statement would be, I would never do anything like that. This person looks at a person suffering and they say, that person deserves it. That's that kind of person. Or maybe perhaps they say it a different way. They would say, I am so good and godly. I am doing what the pastor, leaders, and other church members are not doing. You see, they're helping, but they have this mightier and higher than thou attitude. You see? And both are wrong. Both are wrong. So that's what he means when he says he's deceiving himself. He says if anyone thinks himself as something when he is really nothing, he deceives himself. But then he says, what should they do? What should they do instead? Verse 4, but each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason to boast. God's word, the translation, there's a translation called God's word. And the translation says this, each of you must examine your own actions. Then you can be proud of your own accomplishments without comparing yourself to others. That's pretty good. You see? Not comparing ourselves to other people. You know, if you compare yourself with other people, you you always come out better. Right? Remember that one. That's a good one. Keep that one. If you compare yourself with others, you'll always come out looking better. Because you can always find somebody else that's worse. Right? And so this is what he's saying to us. Examine means to prove something, that after testing it. So test our own hearts and motives and make sure they are right with God. This is what Jesus meant when he preached in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 to 5. When he said these words, Why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log... That is in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye. And behold, the log is in your own eye. You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Oh, whoa. Whoa. God, whoa. Why are you so uptight with, why are you so mad at me today? God's not mad at you. 
God's speaking to you and me both. And he says, make up your mind. What kind of community of Christ are you going to be? If your heart attitude is right, then you can help others and take satisfaction in what you have done without comparing yourselves to other people. Without comparing yourselves to other people. Before we are so quick to condemn or criticize, we need to take a good look in the mirror. That would be a way to look at it. Well, I told you there were C's, right? There was a command, there was a case, there was a cause, there was a caution. And then we come down to the last one, which is found in verse 5. And it's a contrast. It's a contrast. Okay, what's the contrast? Look at verse 5. For each one will bear his own load. Now, the problem is that in some of the earlier translations, English translations, they used the word burden both in verse 2 and verse 5. So people who read it, thought they were the one and the same thing. But later translations clarified this because there are actually two, Greek, uh, two different Greek words that are used. The one in verse 2 is, for the lack of a better description, it's a boulder. You know what a boulder is? It's a huge, gigantic rock. Okay? Verse 2 talks about a boulder. Alright? Verse 5 talks about this word load, it's the Greek word for a soldier's backpack. For a soldier's backpack, okay? All of us have our own backpack of duties and responsibilities assigned to us by God. But guess what? God says in Matthew chapter 11, verse 30, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. In other words, it's light enough for us to fulfill, our other respons- to fulfill the responsibility of helping the uh, suffering and restoring the fallen. That's what he's trying to say. The message here is to get involved and do what has to be done. Help those who are suffering. Even with all of the other responsibilities that we have. So, if God were talking to me, he would say, Okay, Pastor Arnold. Okay, Arnold, you have seven daughters. You have 16 grandchildren, soon to be 18 grandchildren. Almost sounds like a boulder, doesn't it? But it's really a backpack that God has given to me, all right? And he says, even with all of that, I want you to go out and help the suffering and restore the fallen. (laughs) Wow. This is what God is saying. Can it, really ha- can it really happen here at GBC? Can the community of Christ here at GBC be the community that God wants it to be? One where people are restored and people are helped? I believe it can. I believe it can with God's help. If we are willing to walk in the Spirit, if we are willing to truly love and care for one another, and if we're willing to get involved when we see others need needing restoration and help. How? Give me some practical things to do. Number one, first, evaluate your own spiritual relationship with God. Evaluate your own spiritual relationship with God. Got any logs in your eye? (laughs) If you got some logs in your eye, you're not going to be able to help the person with a speck in his eye. All right? And so make sure that our relationship with God is clear. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, 
You got to go back one more step from that. And you have to make sure you have a relationship with God. And that comes by accepting Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and receive forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And the Bible tells us that then the Holy Spirit will come in and indwell you. He'll take up permanent residence in your life. You know, you can't walk in the Spirit if you don't have the Spirit. But the only way to get the Spirit is to be one of God's children. And if you need some help, please see us after the service. Be happy to talk with you. The next thing you can do, use true biblical precepts, principles, and standards to discern if people have fallen into sin. You know, sometimes we think people are in sin, and really, in actuality, it's our own preferences. (laughs) You know? We say, well, I wouldn't do that. I mean, you you know, that's not right to do, you know. Well, where do we get that? It's sometimes because of our own personal preferences and not really what the Word of God says. Paul helped us out in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 21. We won't read the whole passage, but you'll get the point very quickly. And then where he lists down, now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality. And you go on and on and on and on and on. Is, are the people we're trying to restore truly trapped by these sins? Or something that we just don't like? or we would rather not do. So make sure you evaluate your relationship with God. Make sure that you use true, follow biblical principles to uh, use true biblical precepts, principles, and standards to discern. Third, follow biblical steps to restore people who have fallen or who are suffering. Now, many of you in here probably could quote this passage by heart. Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17, when it talks about go one-on-one with a person first. Talk with them. Communicate with them. Love on them, like we used to say in Texas. Love on them. And bring them back to God. They don't listen to you, then bring back another one with another person with you or even a group of people. They won't listen after that. <laughs> you, you take big-time action. You take them before the church or church leadership. That's one situation. Another one is this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14. We urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak, be patient with everyone. Whoa. Whoa. Do you know somebody who fits in one of those categories? Know anybody? Know anybody? Know anybody that fits in that category? Know anybody? Probably won't take too, many, too long for any of us to figure out somebody belongs in there. So, as followers of Christ, God wants the one another passages to be a big part of who we are and what we do. When we restore those who have fallen into the clutches of sin and help the suffering out of true love for God and for them, the world will know that we are His disciples. Where does it say that? John chapter 13, verse 35. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love one for another. So, get involved. Restore those who have fallen into sin and help those who are suffering. Open your eyes and ears, hearts and hands. Many are needing, hoping, praying, 
and waiting for you and for me. Answer the call and bear one another's burdens. Look, we cannot do everything, but we can do something to bear one another's burdens. Who is God directing you to stop and restore or help today? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we know you've been speaking to us and you're looking for more than just outward conformity but you're truly looking for people with a heart for you and for a heart with people. It's it's not easy, Lord. And we know, Father, that this is a very real situation. I'm reminded of the words of the lyrics of a song that I grew up with by Steve Green. It's called, People Need the Lord. And as I recall this song, O Lord, each chorus seems, each stanza seems to strike in the heart. When he says, every day they pass me by, I can see it in their eyes. Empty people filled with care, headed to who knows where. On they go private, through private pain, living fear to fear. Laughter hides their silent cries. Only Jesus hears. People need the Lord. People need the Lord. At the end of broken dreams, he's the open door. Oh, Father. Amongst all the things, all the wonderful things that GBC should be known for as people who know the word, may we also be known as people who live the word. Father, come and come quickly and make us the community of Christ that you want us to be. People who restore the fallen and help the suffering. In Jesus' name, amen.